Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. The British Columbia government uh, tabled its uh, 2023 budget uh, last week, and I'm going to talk to Mark Zacharias, who's the executive director of Clean Energy Canada, about some of the things that weren't in the budget, but he thinks should have been. So welcome to the interview, Mark. Great. Thanks for uh, having me once again. I, I think that there's uh, your take on this is summarized in a, in a sentence from your press release, which says, what's missing is a clear vision for what a sustainable economy looks like in BC. Maybe you could expand on that a bit. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, overall, the budget was not a climate or an economic budget. It was quite rightly focused on affordability, housing, and healthcare. And, and I think at this particular juncture in the political cycle and kind of where polling is at with BC citizens, that's entirely warranted. Um, there were some good climate investments in the budget. There was about $1.6 billion in new spending. Uh, 1.1 of that was really for building climate resilient communities, which was excellent, and a number of other funds we can kind of talk about. And, you know, that's on the, you know, several billions of dollars of new climate funding that's appeared in the last couple of budgets. So there's significant amounts of money now being allocated against climate and economic action and transitioning the BC economy to a, a cleaner economy. And what's really missing, though, from our perspective is, you know, what's the plan? Uh, you know, where are the goalposts? What does success look like? You know, are there measurable outcomes and objectives the government would want saying, yeah, we want X new mines by this date um, that would deliver critical minerals? So those are the kinds of things that we think government still needs to deliver on. Now, whether you use the word industrial strategy, uh, you know, or whether you were use the words of, you know, a clean transition plan, however you want to word it. Uh, you know, a lot of jurisdictions, and particularly in the U.S. right now with uh, Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, that's putting 370 some odd billion dollars towards transitioning the economy away from fossil fuels. And so they've got a plan. EU's got a plan as well. And what we're hoping to see from B.C. is to get a plan from them. Let's talk about that, because here at Energy Media for about the last year, year and a half, uh, we've done uh, numerous interviews and written all sorts of stories and columns about clean energy technology, industrial strategy and policy. And I think more than anything, the International Energy uh, Agency crystallized that in January when it released its Technology Perspectives 2023. And it said about as clearly as you can the energy transition accelerated after the pandemic started and then Russia invaded Ukraine. Now we're into clean energy industrial development. We have to, if we're going to switch to wind and solar, how do we build, who builds, where do you build the wind turbines and the solar panels and the batteries and the, where do you assemble the electric vehicles and build the heat pumps? That's the focus now. And that contact within, if you look at it from that context, that's exactly what the Americans are doing. The Americans are miles ahead of us now 
on in this front. And I would say the, the federal government here in Canada is scrambling to catch up. The B Alberta government is still out to lunch on this. Premier Smith couldn't smell industrial policy uh, if she tried. But I expected more of BC, to be honest with you. This is the government that has hired Mariana Mozzicato, the American economist who's very well known in this space. I expected them to do better than what they've done to date. So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. And, you know, BC released the kind of first draft of an economic strategy about this time last year. But again, it didn't really have any setting of the goalposts. It was the everything's possible economic strategy. So there was no picking of winners and there was no doubling down on really those industries that are going to be growing in 2040 and beyond. You know, we know Canada has all six critical minerals to build batteries. We're the only democratic country in the world. Tremendous competitive advantage. You know, we've got a really very efficient forest industry and forest products industry that is low carbon. And, you know, there's another kind of space that BC could invest in. Clean hydrogen is another one. Um, you know, the U.S. just introduced a hydrogen production tax credit that's going to make it very, very hard for Canada to get into the game unless the federal government in its upcoming budget has some new incentives for hydrogen production in Canada. So, I mean, those are just kind of three examples and the list goes on. Uh, but again, you know, if you're going to be successful into the future, you have to name the future and then get a path to achieve it. Yesterday, I had I interviewed a fellow named Paul Doucette, who is a, a part of the consortium in Texas that's uh, developing a hydrogen hub in the U.S. Gulf Coast. And we talked about the industrial strategy, and they have a very sophisticated approach to bringing, they, they start with uh, bringing uh, dozens of stakeholders to the table, industry, academia, other researchers, uh, other startups, uh, labor. Uh, it's it's a very, very sophisticated approach to this. And then I look at British Columbia and you know where which is already home to a, a very large and and very uh, sophisticated hydrogen cluster. But where is the strategy? Uh, to build off that cluster. So for instance, if we're talking about, you've got some supply, so you've got a company like Hydra Energy, you've got on the demand side, you've got a whole bunch of companies like Hyd uh, like uh, Ballard, for example. How do, they, how do they get linked? How do you build supply? How do you stimulate demand? Where do you, how do you build infrastructure? Uh, where are markets? How, there's all sorts of uh, layers to that particular onion. And the BC government never seems to peel them in a plan. Yeah, and, and there's been some good work done. You brought up hydrogen. I think that's an excellent example. Uh, you know, BC it does have a hydrogen strategy and it's relatively good. It's got a bit of funding behind it. Um, there's a hydrogen office to be able to help kind of entrance into the market in BC, understand kind of how to set up and do business here. Um, you know, but we also do have some kind of technical challenges in that you're right, we have not linked the value in supply chain, and we have not actually created the demand environment. So that if I'm someone that wants to make hydrogen, uh, like I know I've got a market either here in BC, or I know I can export it either into Western North America, you know, or turn it into ammonia and put it on a ship and send it to Asia. So these are the parts of that kind of supply chain and opportunity to have yet to be figured out. 
Um, I think it's starting to happen in parts of North America, and there are good hydrogen conversations happening in Alberta right now with, for example, blue hydrogen and, and how to get that up and running. Um, I'm quite hopeful that BC is going to grab on to some of these industries over the coming kind of months and next year or two and uh, run them to ground, but yeah, yet to be seen. Well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the uh, uh, the play the devil's advocate here because I've interviewed uh, all sorts of experts outside of Canada, and we often talk about these particular clean energy technology clusters, uh, industry clusters, and how to develop them. But more importantly, timeframes. And I remember one in particular. I was talking to uh, the Bloomberg NEF head of global head of uh, 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 minerals and metals. And we were talking about setting up, uh, you know, the supply chain around for batteries here in Canada. So you start with critical minerals. You, those minerals then have to be turned, processed and refined into metals. Then they have to be further uh, uh, turned into battery cell components, and then they get assembled into battery packs. And he said, I said, well, how long do we have? You know, do we have uh, 10, uh, 10 years, seven years? He said, you have two to five years. Because Vietnam wants it, Malaysia wants it, Indonesia wants it. Everybody wants these supply chains in these industries, and they're more aggressive. They're hungrier, and they're and they're you know their governments are putting in money. They have strategies in place. They have companies that are ready to scale. And then there's old Canada, you know, which kind of moseys along and sprinkles a little money here and sprinkles a little money there. It's the sense of urgency, uh, Mark, that I think one is one of the hallmarks. Uh, it was what would be one of my criticisms of the BC government's approach to this. There just isn't a sense that the, the energy transition is accelerated so rapidly that BC has to actually get on its horse and get moving. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, you know, I, I think part of that kind of reticence to seize on some of these new kind of investments and business ventures in BC and new supply chains is is really again because BC has been you know interested in exporting LNG for the last fifteen years and that's been a focus of success of governments, and what that does is not that it's a bad thing but it takes you away from the other opportunities because you only have so much time and attention, you know. Meanwhile, I look at what's happening in Ontario and Quebec right now just around landing battery investments. I think it's up to thirteen billion in new foreign direct investment just on automotive battery assembly. And now what needs to happen, as you say, is we need those Canadian mines and metals and minerals um, being used and processed here, not shipped overseas and brought back, used in cathode and anode production into battery assembly and into the cars and trucks that we're going to be using here in Canada and buying. It's like, I mean, that's a, an economic future that Canada can seize on. It's real. It's in front of us. It's already happening. Um, I think there are parts of the federal government that really understand this and really pushing hard on this right now. I'm not sure the provinces yet really kind of get that uh, this is a tremendous economic opportunity for Canadians and all Canadians across Canada. Well, I, I, I'm in a unique position because I, I live in Parksville on Vancouver Island and my MLA, Adam Walker, is a, I think he's a parliamentary secretary or associate minister for innovation. And I've had a chance to talk to him about some of these things. And I can say firsthand, you know, I know he's not the minister, but he's certainly involved in that ministry. And I don't sense any of that. I, I sense it's it's kind of the yeah we're going to get to it it's important to us and you know we'll we'll sort of mosey on now I want to contrast with the Americans because uh, and I will say this many times during interviews uh, please if you haven't already 
go Google the November speech from Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo, who lays out the federal American government's industrial clean energy industrial strategy and policy in explicit detail. And you will get a sense of how the world works outside of British Columbia and Canada in a way you never will if you listen to what's going on in this country. The Americans want to catch China. They want to be the number one in this space, clean energy technology by 2030. Not only are they putting the money in there, but they have the ambition. And that is, again, I keep coming back to it, but that's where BC is miles behind uh, and Canada, frankly, is miles behind the U.S. Yeah, I, the U.S. has been very, very aggressive in this space in the last year, and it is very impressive of what they've done just in all aspects of trying to move the, the agenda forward. Um, you know, what Canada and B.C. needs to realize is that, you know, we're not going to match the U.S. one for one on their incentives or their subsidies or even some of their policies. But there are things that we can do better in Canada, and we do have competitive advantages. You know, one is we've got a clean electricity grid that's very affordable. Um, there's a lot of American states that, you know, are trying to attract battery manufacturers that won't come there because the grid is too dirty, um, or there's not sufficient clean water, or the labor force is not prepared. And one of the good things that came out of the BC budget last week was over $400 million for skills and labor training. And, you know, that's one of the foundations. You need infrastructure and you need a labor force. And if you don't have those two in place or being developed, you're just not going to be, be able to participate in kind of this new economy. So fully agree with you there. Yeah, I've interviewed a number of uh, hydrogen companies in Vancouver. And the number one reason for locating in Vancouver is access to people access to experienced professionals, whether they be scientists or engineers or some kind of technology, whatever it is, uh, Vancouver has got a pool in that hydrogen cluster. And that's one of the reasons why companies want to locate there. I want to talk for a minute about, about something that I I didn't see in the budget. Maybe you can tell, uh, tell us if it was in there. Mazzucato is very clear in her book, The Entrepreneurial State, where she says, don't listen to what the Americans talk about, free market and, you know, get government out of the economy. Look at what they do. What they do, and they've done this for decades, well, since the Second World War, is they spend an enormous amount of public capital on science and research and development. They have those big labs. They, I mean, where would we, be, where would the, the global EV industry be if the, if the American government hadn't put billions of dollars into Tesla? Yeah. It, it no, would be nowhere. So, I, I fully agree with you. So, now, the point here, I get here's where I'm the point that I'm getting to is there are companies, there are battery companies in Burnaby. Nano One comes to mind. There is a green bus, an electric bus manufacturer in Vancouver, Green Power. There is uh, science being done uh, in places like Simon Fraser University. And if we took the approach that the Americans do, which is make sure that the science is funded adequately, or even preferably even better than adequately. And then we put money into all of the steps. You know, you take it from the lab, then you take it to a demonstration project, then you take it to a pilot project, and that's where the valley of death is for funding. Then finally, when you get out of that, you're ready to scale that up and commercialize it. And if we put money into that, we would have a, a, a much more robust supply chain and industrial clusters in BC than we do now. And this is, this is, that observation is true across Canada. And, and so anyway, I, 
there's opportunities more than just the obvious ones sitting in labs and startup companies in the lower mainland. Yeah. No, I fully agree. I, I mean, what the, the Americans have done, right, is they figured out where is it they can win and what is it they want to onshore back into America. So batteries are a great example. So they've done a whole bunch of investment in solid state battery technologies and new battery chemistries, you know, while at the same time, they're providing $35 a kilowatt subsidy uh, to manufacture a battery into the U.S. Now, just to give you an idea for your viewers of what that means is that, you know, a 100 kilowatt hour battery, which is found on like a larger EV or a small truck, I mean, that's $3,500 that the manufacturer um, is going to get back from the federal government in a refundable tax credit. Like that, that's just huge. Um, hydrogen is the same thing. They have a production tax credit. Um, we don't have that in Canada and we may not get it in the upcoming federal budget. Um, but that allows them to actually build a abundant, cheap supply. And that's going to drive demand, going to drive new industries. You can already see how many European manufacturers are now going to thinking about kind of relocating or coming back to America just to take advantage of the incentives. So, I mean, Canada, you know, we haven't seen the federal budget yet, uh, which would be the appropriate place to have a lot of these measures in. But we'll see that in the next couple of weeks. And that's really going to be a, a kind of a, an inflection point for the Canadian economy. And, you know, how much does the federal government really believe in Canada as a competitive jurisdiction in the clean economy space? It will be very interesting because on the one hand, uh, uh, Finance Minister Christian Freeland has promised, quote unquote, robust industrial policy, real, uh, sorry, real muscular industrial policy is the way that she phrased it in Edmonton back in uh, October. Uh, on the other hand, she's, she's talking about fiscal prudence. And I don't know how they're going to resolve those two, but so we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see later this month when the budget yeah. comes down. But I still maintain, like, if you take the U.S. as a model, uh, on the one hand, the American government is very, very aggressive in putting the, the various acts that are involved in clean energy technology are well over a trillion dollars. The Chips and Science Act and, and the in, uh, Infrastructure uh, Investment Act and all of those acts. And by the same token, then you have states like California, which are very, very aggressive in their own right. And the synergy of the two approaches, both state and federal government, is really supercharging their economy in California. And there's no reason why, given the fact that BC is running, you know, running a, a, a surplus budget, couldn't allocate more funding uh, for basically the future of the BC economy. I mean, so that's my, what what's your take on that? Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I mean, but, you know, we come back to our initial discussion around what's missing, and, and that's the economic vision. And, you know, governments do have to pick winners. I mean, that's just showing year after year, decade over after decade, is that, you know, governments that focus on what they're good at, and they invest in it. That's how you build industrial ecosystems, and that's how you grow your economy. And what's missing right now in BC, and, and I think across Canada and many provinces, is really that kind of laser-like focus on what is it we're going to be good at, and then how do we invest and how do we build it? And, and that's also creating the demand side of the equation. And that's what people forget. You know, they all talk about R&D and supply, um, you know, but, but things that like BC has done well, we have a zero emission vehicle sales targets that are quite stringent. And, you know, that drives the demand and will hopefully drive the critical minerals that'll eventually, you know, be 
processed and used in Canada to make the cars that we buy here. So just, you know, examples of that particular thing. Uh, the other piece too, that we need to kind of be aware of, we continually need to look at what Washington, Oregon, and California are doing and where they're going. And, you know, what are they doing to transform their economies? Because quite frankly, like um, as the world moves away from globalization into multilateralism, like those are going to be more important, our trading partners going forward. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and if you look at the what, I'll give you an example of the way things aren't happening. And we'll look to Alberta. Uh, they have, for the last couple of years, they've been building a uh, Edmonton Regional Hydrogen Hub. Now, this is a really good idea. Uh, and But the provincial government is is actually a laggard. It's just one of the members at the table. Where the, the initiative has come to form this hub is from the municipalities, the city of Edmonton, the city of Strathcona, and other municipalities. It's come from in it from industry. It's come from first local First Nations that want to get in on on the, the ground floor of this. It's and then the federal government and the federal government has been more supportive, but it's really not kind of their jurisdiction per se. It is the Alberta government's jurisdiction, and and the Alberta government has a hydrogen roadmap. Uh, but the government is 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 playing a more passive role here instead of a leadership role. And this so reminds me of what the BC government is doing. And the difference here is I don't see the leadership in the BC business community and the municipal government to replicate that hydrogen, the Edmonton hydrogen hub, you know, and take a leadership role. And so maybe what has to happen is that the business community and other stakeholders have to create the parade first so the BC government will then get out in front of it and lead it with, you know, and, and put in the funding and the and the policy that's required. Well, uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, the Alberta Hydrogen Hub is a great example because you can use hydrogen to make methanol, ethanol, fertilizer. All of those are incredibly huge industries and Canada could be could compete globally in all of those. Right. So that's kind of the the right idea is to find out where that competitive space lies. And then uh, you're right. I think it's going to take a combined effort from the business community, local governments, indigenous governments, stakeholders, and, and also the investors themselves. The investment community is going to start to demand that, uh, you know, if we're going to come to your province, uh, we need to see a roadmap that's very clear and we need to see a very clear path to investment. And that's not just in terms of the rules and regulations, that's also regulatory processes and timelines and how long it takes to get permits and all of these other pieces um, are all part of that equation. Right. And I think, okay, so we've spent a lot of time criticizing the government and and I think we should say something nice about it to close out the interview. And I have to say, because I, you know, I get the BC press releases on a regular basis and there are always press, press releases, uh, you know, BC government funding for First Nation solar farms and for to support various technology companies. And but while that is good, and I know that, you know, there the government talks a lot about climate change and meeting climate targets and, and clean energy and so on. It's the old Canadian approach of sprinkle a little bit here, sprinkle a little bit over there, but don't focus too much and don't take a more proactive role. And so I, I I said something nice and then I criticized them again. I apologize for that. But anyway, 
Uh, so, you know, I, I will respond to that is, you know, for example, BC has a, its roadmap to 2030 is one of the most ambitious climate plans in North America, if not the world, and it's funded and it's got the math to show how they're going to get to their targets. Like, so BC needs to be commended for that. Um, what BC does wrong and what it needs to fix is that it looks at climate action and economic action as things that need to be balanced. Whereas other jurisdictions around the world have figured out that, hey, wait a minute, your climate plan can be your economic plan and should be your economic plan. And only when those two come together and are linked, do you really have a path forward to prosperity? Like that's what's missing. I couldn't agree more. But on that note, uh, thank you very much for this, Mark. Always appreciate your insights. Great, thanks for having me.